Hey y'all, excited to have you guys in here. I am stoked to have Dr. Brett McCabe join us with this live discussion call um, that we had last week. And, and I'm so excited to share this with you guys today, the listeners, because holy cow, there is so many uh, golden nuggets in this interview. This was so much fun. Um, and I want to thank uh, Dr. McCabe for coming on. I'm actually going to roll right into the audio. We did a little bit of an introduction and how I met Dr. Brett McCabe uh, and uh, a little bit more about what he does. I'm going to let him talk for himself. Uh, besides that, really appreciate you guys for listening. Uh, rate, review, subscribe. If this is a great podcast, please let me know. I uh, really appreciate you guys like crazy. Let's get after it and let's get into it. Here's Dr. Brett McCabe. Actually, it's me opening it off. I met Dr. McCabe in New York in July of 2019. He was speaking at a Bold Worldwide event, which is actually the background of his LinkedIn page, which um, Dr. McCabe, I don't know if you know, I was cut out of the photo by like about an inch. So I would have been in the photo. <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't have anything to do with that. So, so um, Dr. McCabe, is a, he's a sports psychologist at the University of Alabama. He does a ton of speaking. He's got an awesome podcast. I actually ran into him after he, uh, if anybody's heard of uh, Ryan Holiday, uh, he interviewed Ryan Holiday in Austin and we ran into each other at the airport. That was, I think, in September uh, this last year. Uh, Dr. McCabe had so many insights that he dropped at uh, the Bold University event, which was an event for entrepreneurs. Uh, he graduated from Louisiana State University and now works with the University of Alabama. He also does a lot of work with uh, the P, uh, with PGA and golfers. And honestly, I'm I'm really curious to hear a little bit more about your background, uh, Dr. McCabe, because I know you're you got your feet in a lot of different areas, but it all goes back to. I was just saying we've had a lot of coaches and entrepreneurs. We have like the master coach on today uh, because of your background in psychology. So I'm so excited to have you here. Uh, and if you don't mind, uh, let's start this out. Just give us a little bit of an introduction of a little sure. bit better than what I just gave of uh, your <laughs> background and, and, why you, and why you found the success that you've had and what you've been able to do. Yeah, I don't know if uh, you know success is a big term, but I, I, I'm a uh, clinical psychologist. And I got on that journey because I was a baseball player at LSU. Um, I was a guy who went through the process of trying to figure out exactly what it was that helped me perform at my best there. And just to give you guys a little bit of a background, LSU baseball is the probably the top baseball program in the country. I was a part of two national championship teams. Um, my coach won five national titles in 10 years. A um, lot of players in Major League Baseball. Um, it's it's it was really what put college baseball on the map from, you know, used to having a thousand people at a game would have been like a big weekend to having 10,000 at a regular game. Um, and, and so it was a really fevered pitch. I was in school with Shaquille O'Neal. I was in school with a bunch of those uh, other very successful athletes. Um, and LSU was just a really great time, but I struggled to find my way. And, you know, I, I always kind of went with the idea of people saying, if you just do things the right way, it'll always work out. Well, that's not necessarily true because I did everything the right way, but success just was always one elusive step away from me. And I had to learn what it took to fight for what I wanted. And it, it took some very painful moments. It took some patience. It took some, some struggle, but once I figured that out, I had a lot of success and that got me interested in the field of psychology. I was actually a business major. I wanted to go to law school and going into my fourth year at LSU, I hadn't played a lot when I finally broke through, I played and was and led our team in appearances and a lot of pitching categories my last two seasons. And a lot of it was because I turned into the psychology of stuff. You know, I, I wanted to understand the differential. So when I finished my, my uh, athletic career, um, I went back and I got my PhD in clinical psychology and I actually specialized in 
kind of the interaction between medical conditions and physical problems. So people with chronic back pain, people with headache, people who were on the medical units and the medical floors, um, we would work within the medical teams, working with the physicians, the psychologists, the psychiatrists, the, the physical medicine rehabilitation people, the physical therapists, the OTs, the PTs, okay, you name it, we work together to get patients better. Um, and so I always worked in those settings. When I finished my training, I did, it took me five years of graduate training. Um, and, and during the time we worked in a model that's very much like medicine, where um, we worked on the units, we worked on the floors, we put in 70 hour weeks type of stuff. My wife and I had two kids by the time I finished grad school. And um, we went on internship and we moved to Providence, Rhode Island. And Brown, uh, the, the internship that we do is a 12 month internship. And the program that I went to, Brown is probably one of the top programs. And it's very known for developing academic psychologists. People do a lot of big research who are shifting behavior and big public policy and stuff like that. That wasn't who I was. Um, I wasn't going to write my grants. I wasn't going to, you know, pay for my own salary. My idea was if I'm going to pay for my own salary, then I'm going to do it with my own cap of revenue, my own cap of expenses. I didn't want to write a, a grant that took 50% of what I did and gave it to the university just to have the name behind it. So I sat down with a professor when I got there, my advisor, and he kind of looked at me and said, dude, you're not like the other guys here, are you? And I'm like, nope, no chance. So 9-11 happened um, while I was up there. And we started building a plan that was a little bit of a different application. So when I finished, I went to Merck Research Laboratories and did clinical trial research for Merck Pharmaceuticals, specialized in neuroscience and development. I wanted to learn how business thought process worked. I wanted to have a better salary and I wanted to be more competitive in the environment. So what happened was um, I went over there and we worked for about 14 months on a, on a product. And you're dealing with multi-million, billion dollar decisions. The drug I worked on was a billion dollar product and never made it to, to market uh, as what we were studying it for. It's out in a different utilization, different term, but it wasn't, it wasn't the, um, what we did. And they just made a decision one afternoon based on the data that it was no longer viable and they canned it. And so it was a pretty significant um, decision. During that time, my wife and I realized we missed the Southeast. So I started looking for jobs and it worked out perfect because Merck was actually going to downsize a little bit. And I took a job with a pharmaceutical company doing medical education and outreach. So it was an application of science and business. So I would work out in the field and I was a liaison between our providers, our thought leaders, the government affairs, our business units, and our marketing department. So it was a perfect mixing for me. I did that for about seven years. And during the time that I was working for the pharmaceutical industry, my boss allowed me to moonlight and work with clients on the side and do stuff like that in performance. Um, I got licensed as a psychologist, but about four years before I was done, three years before I was done, I was, we were at a meeting in Boca Raton, Florida and me and my boss and, uh, we're sitting having lunch and I said, look, I, I'm getting antsy. I, 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 the job was a great job. I got paid very, very well, but I knew what I was going to make from, from here to eternity. I was going to get the same bonus and the same pay raise every year. Um, the job didn't, wasn't very demanding. It was great. I could go play golf during the week, but it didn't, it didn't spike my, like what I enjoyed. I, it was great at first. And then it just kind of ended. And so I, uh, I sat down with her and I said, look, I got an idea. And you know, I, it's about changing behavior of our providers. And it's not about increasing prescription rates. What we were doing was educating people on objections. 
So if I would go meet with a physician and he would have a question or she would have a question with regards to how our drug worked with a certain patient population, the general answer is, well, here's the data. But data doesn't shift human behavior. If it did, everybody would wear a seatbelt, right? It's, or nobody would smoke a cigarette. So data is just one piece in the decision-making puzzle. So what we did was she, she got the medical director and the operations director, and we went to a, a baseball game that night at the Miami Marlins game, and we sat down on a piece of paper, and I drew out a program. And I laid out the program, and I said, this is how we shift behaviors. I had a specialty in treating depression in the primary care setting. Our drug was moving into depression. And I said, we're going to have some major objectives, uh, objections, but if people don't know how to deal with them, we're going to bomb. So I laid out an entire program on how to um, go out and find out what the true objections were, how to change their behavior, and then how to solve the problem on the back end. And so she let me do that. And for a year, we worked on that project, and it was the greatest ROI in the history of the company. Um, it led to about $85 million of increased sales in one quarter. And it wasn't, the job wasn't to increase sales. The job was to educate providers and get behind the story. And so what we did is we paired it with our marketing department. So we'd go out and identify what the issues were, and then we'd solve the problem. And it was very psychological in nature. So what happened is while that program was going on, I started working with more and more um, athletes and business and schools and business leaders. And um, I got to a point where I was done with what I wanted to do in the business. And my wife sat down, and she's my business partner, and she sat down with me and she said, um, you know, I kept saying, I want to leave, I want to leave, I want to leave. But she said, you have to make this amount of money in order to leave. And what she had done is she had gone into our business and knew what I made, knew what I, you know, grossed up on, knew what my car, all the expenses that I had included, my, including my 401k, my pension plan, because I had both, um, everything. And said, if you can, if you can make that equivalent in a 12 in a in one month then we can go out on our own and in february of one year uh, i did it and i was able to you know make that difference but then i had to do it again i had to do it again so finally when i was able to do it i went out and set up my own practice and that was in 2011 so 2009 to 2011 i was building the framework and i went out on my own and it's been ever since then i've been working with um world ranked athletes top top players in their field in golf and baseball and, and other sports um, and working on the psychological processes that helps people work through struggle, overcome their challenges and put together game plans to be successful. Um, we're in the process of launching, which I want each and every one of you guys to check out a thing called the catalyst school. I'll talk about it more in a little bit, but it's how to be a catalyst for the people that you have in your lives. Um, business school, how to actually become a leader. Um, and the catalyst school live is less than 20 bucks a month. Um, but it's live webinar training every week with me for at least an hour a week. Um, it's unbelievable content from the best leaders, coaches, people, um, podcasts, video casts, you name it. So I'll come back to that in a little bit. But um, from where you guys are in your careers and what you're trying to do, because I've been there, I've been where you guys are all. Um, it, it's getting it's getting the 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 shit that actually works, not the stuff that's theory. Um, and so as I built this business, I think I've had probably 20 to 25 employees. I've got one now. Um, I've got a, my daughter is my social media manager. She has a master's in social media marketing. My, I have a guy who does all my business marketing and development. My wife and I are the business partners. I have screwed up working with more employees than I ever could have imagined in my life because um, I don't understand why people won't do what I think needs to be done. And I get frustrated. So 
I don't sit here and speak as it is like I've got it all figured out. Um, I sit here and speak as I've got a lot of scars on my, um, my, my arms, but we've grown the business 35% every year for the last seven years. Um, and, you know, being an individual provider who, who hustles and does all the work himself to be where I'm at with the opportunities I am and trying to figure out the new game that's out there is tough. And uh, so I don't sit here as, as saying I've got the answers. I can tell you the scars that I have. Um, I think ultimately for each and every one of you, it comes down to what do you want? Okay. Um, I don't think you can fool people to try to be something that you don't want to be. You have to determine and be clear about what you want. Now that will shift and grow over time. What you start out with, with a job will end up as a career. You'll become an expert in an area. So while you may have an idea to do X and it's leading you down a path to do Y, become the expert at it. Immerse yourself and look at it from every angle because there's always an offshoot that allows you to grow out of it. I would have never thought that my job would be what I'm doing today. Um, and I'm not sure where I'll be in five years. Um, you know, I, University of Alabama on Google. I mean, I was doing work with athletes here. It's the top largest spending athletic department in the country. I went to LSU. I played baseball there. I bleed purple and gold. And I get a call one day sitting at my kitchen table and I said, hey, we're looking for somebody to work with this, the basketball team. And uh, so I went in there and they said, look, you won't work for the football team. Coach Saban has his own people. I'm like, don't care. I went to LSU. He left us. Screw him. And then what happened was over about a two-year period of me just going in there and crushing the people I was working with, um, they needed me to, to work in football. And I didn't go up and interact with the coaches. I didn't go out and do anything. I just over-delivered. And I was just present. And I was just delivering on a regular basis. And so many people in my field overstate who they work with. They overstay what they've done. They've overstayed what their impact is. I always took a different approach. Uh, my dad was a military guy. He worked in the, he, he was a navigator in the C-130s and he moved a lot of the Delta Force around and those, those folks. And his answer was be gone before the press conference starts. And so, you know, I, with the whole COVID situation, I've done a lot of media and they've always introduced me as Alabama sports psychologist. I actually called Alabama ahead of time and asked for permission to use that. Um, and just because I didn't want to overstate what I do. Um, the players I work with on the PGA Tour, I don't care if they mention me in the media or not. My job is to work for them. So I think if you know what you want to do and then you deliver with content and you do a great job, it may be a slower process, but it's not built on, it's not built on fake foundations. It's built on the truth. And at the end of the day, that always wins out. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. I don't sit, I sit on social media and look at my competitors and it just irks me. It drives me nuts to see people who buy Twitter followers or buy Instagram followers, or, but you can always tell, you can always see who does when you go in their follower list and they have, you know, they have no stories. I mean, it's like, who are we fooling here? Right. Um, the best always plays out. So the best content, the best information that solves the problem for another human being will end up creating contagious mentalities and people will need you. Um, never advertised. I've always said, I've always looked at it as content, content, content. So, um, yeah, I think even as an entrepreneur, the more people you can solve and be around that situation, the better you're going to be. That was that was great, um, Brett. I've got, uh, uh, excuse me, Doctor McCabe. I've got. Call me Brett. Call me Brett. Right. I've got a couple a couple of things I actually wrote down in notes from uh, Bold University and your and your 
I'll call mm-hmm. it the keynote because you were the first speaker at, at Bold University. I got the most notes from you. You had, uh, I want you to hit on one of the things I wrote down is uh, people change for two reasons. You know, the first is because yep. they have to, second is because they want to. Um, can you elaborate on the goldfish metaphor that you, you brought up? Yeah. So let me talk about the first thing. So, yeah. So as a psychologist, we're experts on behavior change, right? But we really don't change behavior. What we do is we nudge behavior. I can tell you to change all day long. You're not going to do it unless it's really, really painful or really, really important. And so our job as a psychologist is to either increase the pain or increase the want. Okay. So think about it this way. You know, I'm not saying to do this, but just think about this way. You go into the emergency room because you've been drinking too much and, and your significant other says, God, you got to quit drinking. You're like, I ain't got a problem. You go into the emergency room because something happened and the doctor sits down and says, you got to stop drinking today. They're like, it was one bad night. Okay. Well, you forget that you've had a bunch of bad nights. So what happens is what we do as psychologists is we go in and say, God, man, you got some really pissed off people out in that lobby for you, don't you? And so you get them to repeat back why it's important to change because our first reaction to everything is resistance. Think about if you see an ad on TV, okay? I don't know what your different fields are that y'all are into or what y'all are, are yearning for here, but if, I, if you told me to switch to a new product, okay? My first answer is gonna be, I don't understand what's different and mine is pretty good, right? Like, let's look at streaming television here for a minute. Significantly better platform, fair? I mean, for you guys, it's nothing. For somebody who's almost 50, streaming is really unique to me. I want to know that the TV channels always working in the same spot. Well, when I kept seeing that the AT&T bill from DirecTV was going up so much and the service sucked, there had to be a new option. But it wasn't until they re-roofed my house and they took down the satellite dish and didn't put it back up that I have to make a switch, okay? Because I didn't want to give up what I had because it was just as easy to stay with what I was doing, right? So, you got to look at it. You got to either make people really, really want to change or the pain is too strong that they have to change. So your job in business is to create that dissonance. Okay. Dissonance is the psychological discomfort between what I'm doing and what you're telling me. Right. If you don't create dissonance, people aren't going to change. People go through a different phase of readiness to change. And I'll come to the goldfish on this in a second, but about 15% of the people that we, that we market to in business, those are the only customers we have. And Seth Godin said it perfectly. He said that when you first come out with a new product, you sell to your 15% of your fans, then you go into the dip, okay? The dip is when you run out of people to sell to. You feel like a rock star with this for 15%, but you don't know what the market wants, okay? You gotta learn what the market is. We gotta create dissonance in the marketplace. So you have to change what's happening and what people are thinking in the market. So if I came out and said to you right now, hey, there's a new video conference platform. I want you to switch. You'd say, but I'm used to using Zoom. Like besides getting Twitter bombed or Zoom bombed, I'm okay. But if I said, hey, look, I don't know how many times you've gone on Zoom and it jumps between the screens. You know, then all of a sudden I've made you aware that it jumps between the screens when people are talking and that's frustrating. Or if I said, hey, do you ever, you know, God, you know what, Zoom, 5% of the times it just doesn't, it just drops. You just get bad service. Now, I'm not complaining about Zoom. I'm not saying anything about mine. What I'm doing is drawing your attention to their weakness without making you defend it. In other words, I'm raising your awareness. I want you to come to dissonance on your own. 
I want you to be aware that the French fries at Burger King aren't very good. Okay. So I want you to be aware that McDonald's isn't the cleanest restaurant in the world. But if I told you that McDonald's sucks, you'd say, no, I like McDonald's. Their coffee's really good, whatever. But if I said, man, every time I seem to go into McDonald's, it's dirty. Ice cream machine doesn't work. I've, I've all of a sudden, you know, if you're looking for a car, you realize how many car commercials you see. Okay. Because I primed you for it. So now what happens is I have raised your attention to something and I want you to think about it two or three days later or two or three segments later where you go, Oh shit, he was right. Okay. So then what I do is I provide you an alternative. Wouldn't it be nice if we had a video conference platform that you could trust it worked and it never seemed to fail. Boom. Oh, by the way, I've got that. Okay. Now what I mean by that is what you do is you create dissonance first, but if I come out and tell you, that Zoom sucks, you go, but I, I like Zoom and it's free, right? All of a sudden you start justifying it. But if I said, you know, it's a better alternative, you know, I just, you know, when you get on Zoom, do you struggle or whatever, making something up, but you get my point, okay? Because what happens is people, people live in comfort zones, okay? And what happens is over time, their comfort zones get shorter and smaller and smaller. They don't, risk as much they like what they like and they're comfortable there well if you buy a goldfish from a walmart and you put it in a bowl that goldfish is only gonna it's never gonna jump out of the bowl okay it's gonna swim on the inside of that bowl and very happily swim there so what happens is over time the goldfish just learns to regulate its, its expenditures and its intake if you put it in a bigger fish bowl that goldfish will grow larger but it will never outgrow that bowl and if you put it in the backyard lake, it essentially is a, a koi fish, okay? It'll grow to the size of the boundaries it's placed on itself. Your minds are the same way. It'll only grow to the size of the boundaries that you place on your own mind. So you gotta be willing to break your fishbowl. If I said, you know, I want you to be successful and I want you to lay out a plan, okay? Many of you being entrepreneurial aren't gonna see the fishbowl, but you're gonna see it in a different place. And so what you have to do is learn to say, okay, let's get outside of that comfort zones and start to use dissonance and other ways to shift human behavior. And if you do that, then you can break free of the traditional way. I think most of the books, most of the things that we teach are so traditional, but they don't work. You know, they just work because of volume. They don't work because of efficiency and efficacy. They work because that's what they're supposed to work. You know, I mean, Coca-Cola puts an ad on television. It works because you've got name recognition. Think about dissonance. Go back to a product called Ring. How did Ring do it? Do y'all know? No. Where do they? Where does Ring market two major domains? What did? What's their content? Safety, home security, and what else? Convenience. Convenience. So what do they run? They don't say that your house is gonna be robbed if you don't have a ring. They just make you more aware of robberies are possible. Oh, and by the way, we gave you a cheap, simple, convenient solution to it. They're not saying that you're gonna be robbed or not robbed if you have a, uh, what they're doing is they're taking a risk and just making you more aware of it. So what they do is when you sit there and somebody knocks on your door at night and you can't look at it, you go, God, wouldn't it be nice if I had a video camera that I could see who was at my house at any given moment? 
I mean, have any of you gotten the uh, email yet from uh, from Amazon that shows the picture of the package sitting at your front stoop? It's a little spooky. Okay. So ring, what ring does is ring, ring wins by dissonance because nobody wants to sit there and think there's somebody outside their house at night that they can't see. So in the middle of the night, guess what? There was a question that came in. Oh, a couple. How do you deal with athletes who struggle with overbearing mental obstacles, self-efficacy issues, or even the crazy amount of pressure? Yeah. Um, how do I deal with that? You work through it. So to me, the biggest factor you do when you work with any kind of performer, any kind of competitor, you guys are all competitors. Where you compete is what defines your career, okay? So if you compete in the business world, you're a business competitor. If you, work, if you compete on a golf course, you're a, golf, you're a golfer. If you're in the football field, you're a football player. Same mindsets, okay? Um, mental obstacles are normal. We all have them. Nobody is free of mental challenges. There are, we know that there's even the increased rates of depression and anxiety in athletes, okay? Um, and self-efficacy issues is you have to teach them and focus on the little things. What we do is when we see uncertainties, we start building up reasons why we can't succeed. And then as a result, we start believing it. Pressure and stress increases negative thoughts and doubt every time, 100%. So what I try to do is get them to realize that when it, it's like, I call them first aid kits. When the first, when you need them, what can you go to? So we're gonna prepare for the struggle. We're not gonna be shocked by it. So what are we gonna rely on during that time and then slowly start building it up? You can perform well with depression and anxiety. It's normal. Uh, anxiety rates are approaching 40% in this country. Um, Pre-COVID, um, depression is also high. Um, the reason is we're very perfectionistic and we're very fast turn. Y'all's generation has a much higher incidence of anxiety than any generation we've ever seen because the standards of excellence to you guys are not in your community, they're across the world. So you look at somebody on social media and it becomes the standard of excellence across the world. You'll never meet them and you won't even know if it's true. I mean, the people that are sitting out there on social media as entrepreneurs that have a car and a house and all that, shit's rented, y'all. It's not real. Okay. It's not real. Um, don't buy it. The hustlers are the ones that are working. They don't have time for social media. Okay. They're slinging burgers and they're making ice cream. They don't have time to sit up there and be on podcasts talking about entrepreneurship. If I have to hear one more entrepreneur talk about someone who's never actually started a company in their life, drives me crazy, okay? So be careful on what you identify with that. In the world of social media, how do you channel individuals to focus on goals and what's important? Well, back to that point, right? Social media is tough. It's a great way to connect, but at the same time, it, it creates unfair and unrealistic comparison models. What I want them to do is to look at it and say, okay, what is it that you want to create and what can you can control? And what is your circle of influence? Build a circle of influence around you that allows you to stay focused on what you want. But realize that the biggest, two biggest skills you have to have is patience and mental flexibility. Patience is the realization it's going to be much longer than you think it's going to be. Um, and mental flexibility is the ability to adapt and adjust in the face of challenge. And you got to be able to do that. Okay. The topic of not waiting for the perfect time to chase a passion from your experience at top level college. Well, let me, let me just say from an entrepreneur, so what's the right time? There's no reason why you have to be one, one business entity. Okay, you guys are brilliant at multitasking. Don't wait for an opportunity or funding to go out on your own. Instead, what I want you to do is build it at night. There's no reason why you can't work at night and on the weekends. 
Okay, you don't need days off, okay? It's nice, but you don't need it, okay? And you can create, you know, if you work 12 hours a day, six days a week, that's 72 hours a week, there's 168 hours in the, in the week, all right? So if you work 72 hours out of 168, that leaves you 96 hours left. If you sleep eight hours a night, okay, you still have 40 hours a week to do and chase what you need to do, okay? This is a short-term investment for a long-term gain, meaning short-term investment, maybe five to seven years, but you've got to be willing to hustle. When I was in grad school, I came from an upper middle-class family and so did my wife, um, but I also taught baseball lessons four nights a week so that I could pay for a computer for grad school. One is my wife and I didn't want to take the money from our parents. We knew that they were a safety net, but we wanted to do it ourselves. She worked shifts as a nurse, um, as a nurse's aide while she was in nursing school. So there's nothing that keeps us from doing more. And what I find is time gives us a conflict of choices. We make too many choices. We have too many choices to make and we don't get to what's important. So when somebody's looking for the perfect time, you know, for an athlete to leave early, there's a lot of times factors involved. Sometimes they need to take care of their family. The um, name, image, and likeness may change that for some of them, particularly like at Alabama, that they can, you know, make $50,000 here or there um, to help out their family. Um, the other thing, too, is you got to look at body. So sometimes we see a player that goes out early, which you may not know is they have an arthritic knee. Okay, so they know that they have a window of six or seven years to play. So they've got to cash in where they can. So they're going to take a lower draft status, but to get into the – they want to get to their fifth-year um, fifth contract as soon as they possibly can. So they start that clock faster. So all those factors come in. But we had – at Bama, we had three kids come back this year that probably would have been the top three-round picks, but they're all pushing for that top-round top money, that $30 million guaranteed money. So Joe, Bray, or, uh, Joe Burrow from LSU, I think he got $20 million guaranteed. So they're all they're all betting on the on the house there. Yeah, Dr. Other questions are yep. Oh yeah, and uh, I I'll call you Brett. Brett, um, yeah, Brett. With uh, you, you, I love your podcast, and it's 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 hilarious running into you at the airport when I did because I actually plugged in. I started listening to it on the flight back, and um, you guys should all check it out. The Secrets of Winning. I know I posted it. Um, you've met with some amazing people on here. What are, not to give you the most cliche answer, but what are, what are some of the secrets to winning that you've seen from Nick Saban or some of these other, some of the people you've had in the podcast, but also some of the people you've worked around, what yeah. are the traits that make somebody exceptional and are they really traits or are they more so just actually what they do and can the consistent effort over time? So, so Nick Saban's not right. Okay. I mean, I'm not trying to be funny, but no human is like him. Okay, he's a cyborg in the fact that he works nonstop. His wife takes care of all the business outside the family, outside the football office, um, and he's unrelenting. He has this just amazing anxiety if he's not doing something. Okay, that's not a pretty, that's not a healthy way to go. However, you can learn it from two things with him. One is a couple things. One is he has a very clear process to being your best every day, regardless of the outcome. Okay, we, we oftentimes become so infatuated with the outcome that we sacrifice the way that we do things. And his thing, if you're going to do one thing, do everything right. It goes back to my thoughts about when I, I think I talked about it in bold, but if you listen to my podcast, you're going to be talking about it a lot. Kind of alluded to it earlier, I compare and contrast McDonald's and Chick-fil-A quite a bit. McDonald's is number one fast food brand in the world. They don't hurt for money. They have a very clear marketing campaign. They know where they're marketing to. But when you go in their stores, there's really not a precision to excellence. It's a good enough mentality. 
Okay. You go to Chick-fil-A, it's excellence in every facet of what they do. Um, it's clean. The tables are always clean. The drink troughs are always clean. The condiment stations are always organized. Okay. They're very clear to their culture. It pisses some people off, but it's their culture. They didn't ask your opinion. Okay. You sit in there, you sit in their drive-through, they can have 40 cars in the drive-through and you're going to get out faster than the three cars sitting at McDonald's because they've maximized that process. So you're never going to get really cold food from Chick-fil-A. They're never going to charge you for their sauces and their food, their stores are going to be spotless. McDonald's, it's okay if it smells like soured milk behind the coffee machine. It's okay if their ice cream machine doesn't work. It's okay if their bathrooms are a little wet and smelly. It's just, it's okay, right? But they're still winning. Their margins are okay. You, I mean, think about Five Guys. Five Guys is probably one of the most expensive hamburgers and orders of french fries you can get. But you got to know why that is. Because they have the best ingredients at every level of everything that they serve. They don't care what it costs. They want the best. Okay? So they don't spend a lot of money on their, you know, their, their design of their restaurants. They spend it on their mayonnaise, which is not Hellman's. It's a special mayonnaise. Their bread is a specially baked bread. Their pickles are a special bread. So you got to choose to the Nick Saban approach. You got to choose where you're going to be great and own that. Okay. You've got to see where it is and you got to be unrelenting. Okay. Now he's not afraid to piss off the people that work for him, but he's also built up such a level that he doesn't care if people leave him because he's going to replace them. When he was at LSU, we lived in Baton Rouge at that time. I had just got done playing ball, but I was in grad school. He had a hard time keeping coaches. He'd go through six coaches a year. And people thought that was a problem. Well, now he has coaches lining up to work for him. Okay, so you have to sustain that store if you can if you can be consistent. So Nick is consistent every single day. My coach had what was called the system. His system was you do the little things and the details better than anybody else. Everybody focuses on the sexiness. Okay, focus on the details. You know, one of the things that my wife is in, you know is more of the detail oriented person in our business. She can't stand it if a link is broken on a website, okay? Because that is a sign of overlooking something. So you have to choose what your philosophy is. And most people in your position at coaches don't know what your individual philosophy is. You try to be everything to everyone. You try to be Cheesecake Factory. It's got 17 different cuisines on their menu, but it's all okay. But, you know, it, like, look, if you're just going to ser serve ravioli, just own the ravioli and be the best in the country at the ravioli, Okay. Don't, you don't have to be, you guys don't have the ability to be everything to everyone. Be the best at one or two things and own them. And I think that's what the, the best of the best do. The other thing too is they don't hold grudges. Okay. The best, you can go sideways with somebody, you can be frustrated, but they don't hold a grudge. It's the next opportunity to, to be in the next challenge. You can piss me off. You can fail today. Tomorrow you show up and it's a brand new day. I think leaders and coaches struggle when they hold grudges and that's the problem. Yeah, what's the fear of missing out? Like I'm always on the edge looking for the next big deal. The problem with that is you're chasing rabbits. You ever seen a dog chase a rabbit into the bush? It never goes where the rabbit's going. It always goes to where the rabbit went. So you're going to miss some things and that's okay. Right? I've missed a lot of things. For two years before I started a podcast, a guy in my office kept saying I needed to do these things called podcasts. I didn't know what they were. I didn't understand them and I let them go. So I've never monetized my podcast. I don't think podcasts are really monetizable anymore unless you're Joe Rogan. Okay. I mean, you know, we'll, we'll get approached by the manscapes and people like that, but they don't match our business model. It's hard for me to be hawking manscape 
when I'm talking to coaches and parents. It's just a hard match. Um, so I think you've got to look at it as, you know, you are going to have to be willing to not spend your energy on the things that you can't do. You can't be everyone, everything to everyone. A couple of years ago, I worked for a, a restaurant in town. He asked me to come in and look at the psychological way that people work through. And he was a rotisserie chicken joint. And he would cook the rotisserie chicken right behind the counter. And it smelled amazing. He would cook the veggies. And so we sent my wife and a couple of the other people in the office for some secret shopping. And they ordered rotisserie chicken sandwiches. And he goes into the refrigerator, takes out the chicken, puts it in the microwave, and then puts it on the bread. With the rotisserie chicken, like, right behind you. I mean, you could smell it. And so our, but his special for the day was chicken wings. I was like, that doesn't match. Like, what do you want to be? And he's like, man, I make the best burger too. We're like, but you're a rotisserie chicken company. And our recommendation was to open up the kitchen and open up and create the smells and make people feel like they're in a Greek market, you know, or Italian market where they're cut. Like you want a chicken sandwich, you just cut it right off the thing roasting. Well, he ended up closing the rotisserie chicken thing and now he has a craft burger and wings place. It was really his passion, okay? He just knew rotisserie chicken. He used to own a Subway. And so he didn't want to be considered a Subway where people walked through the line and picked out their ingredients. So he wanted made to order, but he just had a great way of cooking rotisserie chickens. They were incredibly tasted, tasting. They were terrible being reheated. You've got to know who you are because if you don't, um, you got to know what your philosophy is. If you can't nail your philosophy, then you're going to be lost. And that's where you're going to get caught missing out can't be everything to everyone hey brad i've got a i've got one and uh, my father mm -hmm. used to say growing up you know you're it was something his father used to say which is you're, you're a product of your own environment and you had a great um elaboration on relationships in your life and the influence they have on you and you talked about building a circle around you of the five people mm -hmm. um uh, uh, you know and calling you out on your own stuff do you want to kind of build in i think that had a huge impact especially as we're all younger like how important is the relationships and the people that we exhibit the most energy with and have the most influence well, for us and and that's why we started the catalyst school okay 100 percent. so i went out and spent some time with bradley who does um light speed and if you don't follow brad brad's great he's obnoxious but um brad does a great job and he and i were sitting down and he was like you know he's kind of the reason why we started catalyst with another coach but it was because of the people that I've had in my life that were catalysts for me. If it wasn't for my parents, if it wasn't for my baseball coach, if it wasn't for the professor who knew that I was different, it was willing to share that information. So if, if I sent you the link to Catalyst School, make sure you sign it. Just give us your email. That's all I ask. Um, I'll win your business after that. But um, the thing that I, that what we realized was, well, before that, I was flying from Orlando. I was flying from Dallas to Orlando one day. It's about eight years ago. I was just in the business starting my business. And I was sitting in first class and, um, and I was going down to the PGA show and I just left a business uh, talk. And the guy sits down next to me. He's about y'all's age. He's in jeans, a t-shirt and sandals. And they come through the line and they're like, what would you like for dinner? And by the time they got to our row, they were, it was like vegetable lasagna was the last thing they had left. It was American Airlines, which sucks. So they're, they're out of food. Okay. So he looks at me and he says, God, did you pay for your ticket? I said, yeah, I paid for my ticket. Um, he said, I did too. He goes, that just ticks me off. He said, the airline should know if you are paying for your ticket or you're upgraded. And I said, yeah, no. He goes, I usually don't fly commercial. I'm like, all right, dude, what do you do? And so during the, the talk, we started talking. Well, 
when he was at he was in at UCSD, and you know the database that runs behind the the websites, that's him. Okay, so he sold his business for a whole lot of millions. And then what happened was he spent some time in in Congress working for some conservative lawmakers uh, writing business code, and then. Google, Facebook, and Apple came to him because of his connections and said, we need you to set up a GPS tracking company to know where to put cell towers across this country. In other words, here's the business. We need a trusted advisor to do it. It's a worldwide company now. So he plays in the golf industry because he likes golf. He doesn't charge for what he does to do the GPS tracking of your phone of where you are on the golf course. But what he told me was when we were sitting there talking, I just asked him questions. I said, what do you, who do you build in your organization? He said, you surround yourself with a circle of five. Five people in your organization can be 100% honest with you. Anyone outside of that, I don't give a shit what they tell me. I said, what do you mean? He goes, I don't care if somebody in China is sending me an email about what's wrong with their work conditions. They have, it, they have managers for that. That's a waste of my time. Now, if I hear enough complaints, then I need to deal with the manager of the manager of the manager. He said, when I started my business, I had five people who helped me build my company and, and it, it got me thinking, and he didn't put these categories together, but that night I did. You gotta, have, you gotta have colleagues, okay? This is a colleague group. You can get on the phone and say, hey, I got a unique situation, okay? Um, I've got a very unique situation on how to deal with X, Y, and Z. Anybody have a solution? Yeah, you know what, I've been there with you. It's non-judgmental, they're not beating you down, but it's a colleague that you can call. In psychology or medicine, we have to have that. Hey, I got a unique case I've never seen before. I know you got experience. Help me walk through this process. In other words, it's, it's reinforcing our knowledge base. Number two is you got to have competitors. You got to have people you compete with. They don't need to know that you compete with them. But if you're not paying attention to your competitors, you're not paying attention. They are giving you many times the game plan. Let them spend the money. You steal it. Now, not corporate integrity steal it. But if you know that they're running you know, podcasts on working with business advisors, go get be better business advisors, okay? Um, you gotta have um, co confidence builders. Those are people who are telling you you're doing a good job and, and when you talk to them, it's like you feel reassured because it's such a lonely game that if you don't have that, it's gonna just absolutely eat you alive. Then you gotta have these other two. These are the other two that are really hard. You gotta have challengers. People that are willing to sit down with you and say, hey, Tyler, you know, that, that proposal you sent me was shit. It was garbage. You're better than that. Okay. Um, you're not, you know, you say you want to make more sales, but how many calls did you make today? Four? Four is not going to get it. You got to do 40 calls a day. Okay. And so it's somebody who is willing to be 100% honest with you and tell you the truth. The last one is the critiquer. The critiquer is the person who's like a challenger on steroids that would say, hey, Tyler, I don't give a shit how many calls you make. Your ankle make it. Not making four calls a day. Okay. I don't, I'm not going to waste my time with somebody who can't make 50 calls a day. So in other words, there's somebody who you know is going to be so brutally honest with you that you're kind of afraid of the, the content, but you know they're right. Deep down, you know they're right. Okay. So what we do is most of the time we, we don't include those last two. We, we include our colleagues and our confidence builders. And so we don't allow ourselves to look at things and go, hmm. But at the same time, all right, ready for this? Don't listen to everybody's advice. You know your idea and your business better than anybody else. Nobody knows your idea. I have screwed myself up in business more by listening to people who think they know what I do. 
there's very few people that do what I do. There's very few people that know the way I need to do it. Everybody has said that comes into my business, oh, if you would just market the people you work with. Yeah, but they don't have to deal with the phone call when somebody knows that you've been using them on a marketing piece and goes, hey, that's not what I signed up for. So I'd rather be great without me having to take the shortcut, which means it may take me five years longer, but then I never have to have that conversation. So that, I think that was a question too, is like, how do you handle the thought of always, you're always behind and your successes are not enough? It's what I call Suckville, okay? And I just finished a, a new draft of the manuscript today, which Suckville is the idea between, you're always falling short of your potential. Your reality sucks because you're falling short of what you could have done. That's a natural place to be. We're always there. But you have to learn to start looking at your reality as what it is. You can't be everything to everyone and you can't succeed all the time. So you gotta rebrand your suckville mentality away from thinking you suck to turning it into doing something about it and saying it is what it is, I can get better or I can believe that I suck. It's the only two choices that you have. You are falling behind. You're always falling behind. There's always somebody better than you and faster than you and going quicker than you. It doesn't mean they're going to succeed. The problem is when we compare to others, we always compare to other people's, we always compare our weaknesses to other people's strengths. We never compare it the other way. Hey, Brett, you want to tell that, uh, I, I, I just have this highlighted that story of the, uh, uh, the car salesman, how you got sold the car. Um, yeah. Yeah, it, it goes back to the dissonance question. So we, so to give you a better understanding of dissonance, what happened was we were um, in, the, in, in the need to find a new car. Our lease was running up, and my wife was driving the main car, the big car. And at the time, our kids, we didn't need the big SUV anymore. We had a QX56 from Infinity, and the guy called me, and he said, hey, look, just want to give you a heads up that I know you're probably high on miles, because I know every time you come in for service, I've noticed your miles are high. You're about nine months away from needing to trade in your car. And hey, we got some really good opportunities right now. And we're willing to buy out three or four months of your miles. And I said, you know what? I said, dude, my wife's not going to be interested in that. She wants a smaller car. We don't need that big old car anymore. He said, yeah, I didn't think you would. But I just wanted to, you know, just tell you to look out for your odometers. Nothing's worse than having to pay for miles you, that you already paid for. And then he just kind of left it at that. And I called my wife and I said, I just got a call from what's his name down at the dealership. He said to look at our mileage. She's like, yeah, I don't need a car that big. I don't have any interest. And I said, all right. So we let it go for about a month. And then he called me again a month later and said, how are those miles doing? In other words, what did he do? He created dissonance. Every time I looked at my odometer, I knew that I didn't want to be spending money for going over mileage. But I didn't have a solution yet because we were too far out on the lease uh, tra transition. And I said, yeah, and I said, we're okay. He goes, yeah, I just, I just hate to have to spend miles on, on, on that. He was shifting us, okay? And so we kept talking about it. And I called my wife and I said, yeah, you know, what's his name called again? And she goes, yeah, I just, he's probably right, but I don't, I don't really want that car again. So about three days later, she calls me. She says, you know, I got in the car the other day and I realized, man, we really are over miles. Maybe I, if I went down to the shop and checked out and saw what they had. And he called me. I called him and I said, and he goes, hey, you know what? Guess what? We got a midsize SUV coming out. Maybe you should come down and check out that. Have your wife come down. So I called her back and I said, you know what? You're right. Why don't you go down and check it? There's a brand new midsize SUV. She's like, all right. And he said, by the way, you're getting closer. We could probably make something work, but 
I don't know if we can do six months yet because I think we're about six months now. She goes down there. She calls me. She goes, I didn't get the smaller SUV. I'm going to get the new one. Exact same thing that I have, just no mileage, and it's going to be an even trade. So he built that scenario out. He made us aware of it. He made us uncomfortable with it. He gave us a solution, and he confirmed it like that. We walked out of there with a brand new car, exact same thing we were driving for three more years. It was a great truck. So, I mean, it wasn't like he sold us a lemon. He sold us a phenomenal truck. But it was one of those things that instead of being in a hurry, so what happens is in human behavior, we have five different stages of change. The first stage is what we call pre-contemplators. These are people who are not ready, not interested, don't care. All right. They're going to make up about 40 to 50% of your marketplace. They have no interest. They're not, they don't care what you have. They may be a, they may be a customer. They're in no way, form or fashion, even thinking about it. What you have to do is you have to figure out how to make a pre-contemplator a contemplator to start thinking about it. Those are people that are one month to three months out from making a decision. They're one month to six months. Okay. They're in that contemplation stage. Then you move them into preparation. Now they're starting to collect information. They're studying it. They're going on Amazon at night. They're looking at alternatives. They're studying your competitors. You got to take a competitor. You got to take a preparer, make them an action person. Then once you have them on a customer in action, you keep them in maintenance. You stay up with them. Unfortunately, what we do is we go out there and when we're selling an idea or business, we throw a blanket statement out there and we hit the preparers. The action people may have already left us, but we hit those people that are in preparation. We just hit them at the right time. Okay. You've got to have a plan for your pre-contemplators, your contemplators, your preparers, your action, and your maintenance. So if I meet with you and, you re- and I realize you're not interested, I don't just shut my book and say, okay, we're done. I start building relationship in another area. And then I start thinking, how do I shift you? You should have a plan for everybody you meet with and every piece of information you put out on social media. Everything that we put out on social media is going to hit either dissonance, awareness, or confirmation. And the reason is that I'm either working towards something I'm just putting out good information that I'm building trust. So quotes, ideas, content. I'm going to put out dissonance that's going to make you think about something you're doing. So it may highlight the fact that, to your point, somebody else is ahead of you. Well, if I can solve that problem, then I want you to feel behind. Okay? I want you to feel like you need catalysts in your life and you want to become a better one. Better one. Okay? So I'm going to put that out there. Um, and so whatever you guys are doing in the entrepreneurship world, you got to be thinking. It's not just, hey, I got this great product that can save you 10%. Nobody cares. If people didn't, if people cared about money, they wouldn't have the cars we drive and the shoes that we wear. They do it because there's a connection to the brand that either makes them feel good or solves a better problem for themselves. Hey, Brett, I uh, had the chance to sit on one of your webinars. I know you've done a lot since mm-hmm. this whole COVID um, craziness that's everything's broken out. Um, for everyone in this group, young professionals, people in school, just getting out of school, wherever it is, trying to, maybe they lost a job or an internship that they're looking forward to for the summer. Anything you've seen really unique in any of the clients you're working for, anybody that's really taken advantage of the time uh, and of, the, of just, the, just the shift, yeah. you know, and everything that's we, happening? We, we, we don't know yet, okay? Um, I was on internship. I was in your house place during um, 9-11, Okay when we went from all these great ideas to all of a sudden, oh my God, the financial markets are going to collapse all around us and we're under attack. It takes about a year. Okay. So you may have to just mow ground. You just may have to tend to your gardens for a while and do jobs that may not be your ideal. But remember one of the worst things that you guys can do at your age 
is think you're going to have a career. You're not going to have your career until you're 35. You're going to have a lot of different experiences and a lot of different jobs. Be willing to be, to move, be willing to get ideas, get experience. Don't think you're going to, yes, there are people out there that can solve the world's problem at 35. There's also a lot of those bankrupt people that live in their parents' basement. Okay. So don't fall for that. Do other stuff. My daughter was up for, she, with her master's, finishing her master's. I think she just sent me a text message. She's now officially done um, today. But she was up for, she was a finalist for a Disney internship. And it was a really, really super competitive. And they pretty much told her, you're the person. And then all of a sudden they all got furloughed. So she missed out. So she's smart. She has a business. She has a jewelry business. And she has a social media business that she manages for small upstart companies because most people overlook small upstart companies. And so she can charge a, a, a rate that other people don't know, but it's not like she knows social media because she has a phone and an Instagram. She knows all the formulas. She knows all the algorithms. She knows why Instagram works the way it does and why Twitter works the way it does and all the other stuff. She has all the certifications. So she has become a highly skilled person and is very affordable for people to get in with. Um, and she doesn't need, and she can do the design stuff. She doesn't need a designer. She can, she can solve that itch. So all of a sudden she built a business during this time with her specialty in boutiques, fashion, stuff like that, because she worked in the jewelry business. So she knows firsthand what people need. So what she do, she started calling the people that buy her jewelry and says, do you need help with social media? And they're like, Oh my God, I sure do. And so now she's hitting customers on both sides. Now some months they can afford her and some months they can't. So you just have to create and realize that we have never as a, as a country not been able to recover from one of these things that have happened. The market is up. The market's doing fine. I mean, it took a hit, but the indicators are fine. The financial markets are strong. Okay. The, the decision-making from a financial market standpoint, the people that I speak to, my buddies that are CEOs of banks will tell you the financial vehicles have never been stronger in the United States. And they see every indication it's going to come back, but you've got to learn to be adaptable and not be stubborn in the workforce. Okay. Great entrepreneurship starts by meeting somebody who can solve a problem with you. So don't be afraid to use this as a five or 10 year period of time to get immersed and learn from great people. There's no way. I mean, when I first came out and I was working with clients, I'm embarrassed about what I taught compared to now. You just do the best you can. Brad, thank you so much for coming on. Awesome golden Absolutely. nugget. You want to you talk a little bit real quick, the last minute or so with uh, the Catalyst School and also yeah. people can find you on social media, how they can engage. So, so obviously you can follow me on social media and I'll put that in here. Um, and I would appreciate if you did. Um, and it's on Instagram. I don't do, tw I don't do Twitch or Snapchat. It's creepy for somebody my age to be on Snapchat. Um, so what I want you guys to do is to be, um, is to go to the catalyst school. So what I did was I looked at all my podcasts that we had and Brett Basham is in my office. He has a, a master's in organizational leadership and, and he's worked in that realm for a long time. And he started looking at it and was like, look, he went into the podcast, the video cast and the audio cast that we had done and said, what are the, what are the things that we have there that answer this need of being a catalyst? And so he at the catalyst school took them and built out an entire library full of um, video. And we've been releasing them daily, re-releasing them, re-optimizing them. There are some brilliant, brilliant conversations on there. Um, and you can watch them or listen to them. Um, and, and I just think they're really, really good and really raw because they're not, many times 
I didn't, I didn't want to fall for the factor of doing a podcast where every time somebody had a book came out, their publicist called and I put them on. I wanted people that you hadn't heard of and people that you haven't been around. There's a great podcast I did about a year and a half ago with a guy by the name of Jamie Clark, who was an adventurer who climbed Mount Everest a couple times. Brilliant. I mean, it's what, it's what we do, right? As entrepreneurs, we're on the long haul with no reassurance. So building those, those strategies are really, really helpful. So Catalyst School is launching in mid-May. Um, it, it'll be, if you have anything that you want to understand how to develop your philosophy, how to develop your strategies, how to develop the way you do things from a truly psychological point, not just a, a winging it point, that's what the Catalyst School is all about. Thank you so much for coming on, Brett. And I know I speak for everyone. That was awesome. And uh, I, again, love the podcast, love the stuff that you put yeah. out. Really appreciate your perspective. And thanks so much for spending an hour with us. You got it. Y'all holler at me if you need anything, okay? <laughs> thank you so much. So much fun. I want to thank Dr. McCabe for coming on. Again, guys, I really think uh, I'm with him with this, uh, the Catalyst School Dot com. I think you should check that out if you got any kind of value out of this podcast. Again, thank you so much for listening. Rate, review, subscribe. A lot of new things coming, uh, as we talked about in the episode earlier today. So excited uh, for all of you and appreciate your uh, support in all of this and listening to these episodes. I really hope that you guys get some great stuff out of it. That's all I have. Thank you again so much for listening. Let's get after it. Hope you guys have a great rest of your day.